Expect these days from Billy Joel. Why? Because Billy has written the title song to Rodney's new film, Easy Money. Now, not only is it going to be the title to the film or the theme song for the film, uh, Billy's also going to include it on his next album, which, by the way, all the material has been written for, and he's even got some of the basic tracks done in the studio, so he's moving right ahead with his new album. Don't have any release date on it yet. The film, Easy Money, if you want to see it, you want to see Rodney doing this to his tie, August the 19th is when it's coming out. Hi, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And I'm Paul Lauren, and this is Billy Joel A to Z. Billy Joel, he wrote so many songs, some fast, some slow, and some go on too long. All the hits and hidden gems, even the turds, it ends at Z, not A, with your friends Elon and Dave. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our fourth out of 13 album wrap-up shows as the hits keep coming. Today's fantastic topic is the legendary 1983 album, An Innocent Man. When you're talking about Billy Joel and his mighty discography, to say the word legendary, you're usually talking about one of the mighty four Sweet Spot albums, but An Innocent Man is a mega powerhouse album that came out in the 80s with songs from the 50s, all from someone born in the 40s. If you're listening to this podcast all the way to this point, you know how popular the An Innocent Man album is. But let's reiterate anyway, because to capture the magnitude of what Billy Joel achieved all the way back in 1983 is nothing more than a modern-day music miracle. As I can't help but point out in almost every episode in 1983, we are talking the traitor Phil Ramone producing his Flashdance soundtrack, which of course screwed Billy at the Grammys, Eddie Grant and Electric Avenue, Oi! Too Shy by Kaja Goo Goo, Duran Duran, Prince, Loverboy, Def Leppard dominating the charts. You tell me, where do you see Tell Her About It or Uptown Girl fitting into the scheme of things in that mess? This is a story about a man who had been beaten down by a woman he was writing songs about nonstop to the point where he couldn't go on anymore. He got it all out of his system an album before and then decided to have a good time party date the prettiest girls of all time, and write songs he decided he wanted to write. The one time in his life he was the happiest he'd ever been and decided to write songs that pleased him, not anyone else, especially the record label, who would never have agreed to an album like this if he was just starting out, and who told him he was crazy to release it even at his own status at this point. Tell Her About It was released one month before the album was officially released and went to number one on September 24th, 1983, and would be the start to seven of the ten songs released as singles off of the album, which means Billy Joel, a 70s icon, with his new batch of doo-wop music, was somehow able to keep up with Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Prince, and Def Leppard. Interestingly, boys... He uh, dethroned Total Eclipse of the Heart to get to number one, as we discussed nonstop and turnaround. Burn! (laughs) 
<laughs> Tell Her About It, Uptown Girl, and An Innocent Man were all top 10 singles. The Longest Time made it to 14, Keeping the Faith to 18, and Leave a Tender Moment Alone to 27. This night was released in the UK and Japan. Four music videos were made from the album and two brilliantly co-starring Christy Brinkley. An Innocent Man received a Grammy nomination for Album of the Year and Best Male Pop Vocal Performance for Uptown Girl, and both times he was beaten by that Michael Jackson troublemaker. Everyone but Sting got burned that year by one of the greatest albums of all time, and actually one could argue the greatest album of all time, so what are you going to do? The album An Innocent Man remained on the charts for 111 weeks, and Tell Her About It, an Uptown Girl became international smashes. The album went seven times platinum. All this point being for the critics of Billy Joel with this album filled of retro songs, he could literally say to those folks, shove it. So let's review the songs we will be discussing today that Billy wrote so many years ago about so many years ago to let everyone know he was keeping the faith. My mother-in-law. For years, I wouldn't kiss her face. I ended up kissing her ass.
guarantee To ensure yourself you got to provide communication constantly When you love someone you're always insecure And that's only one good way to reassure You were there Tell her about it Every day before you leave Pay her some attention Give her something to believe
and there it is. All the ten beautiful songs we'll be talking about today on Paul Lauren's favorite album. Well, maybe not his favorite album, but the album that clearly, as we know from multiple podcasts, that got him started on his journey to love Billy Joel the way we all do. And he is, thank goodness, joining us today, along with, of course, our favorite co-host, Alon Altman. Alon Altman wearing his Diddy Bob shades today in honor of the uh, album cover. That's right. I look exactly like Billy Joel in 1983. I even got my hair poofed up with a permanent wave. <laughs> Very nice. Today, in honor of recording this, I listened to the full album. You know, I haven't been able to listen to a full Billy Joel album for a while because I don't want to hear any of the songs I might not know or we haven't discussed yet. So I listened to the full album today of An Innocent Man. I, I don't know when the last time I've listened to a full album. It was very enjoyable, but I think there's a, a problem. It, you know, I, I, I think I would have changed the order a little bit. It's weird that it starts out with Easy Money, and as we all know, Easy Money, he had that song, he was playing that song, and then it's that's when he decided, I should do a full album of these kind of songs. In listening to the whole album, I don't think Easy Money fits on the album. And then, of course, to go to An Innocent Man as the second song, I, I think it doesn't work. I think he would have been better off, and I'm just opening it up and starting our conversation on this album, with just, and just changing the one thing, going to The Longest Time as the second song, I think would have been a better contrast from the fast-moving, easy money and the horns and the nonsense to the very slow... Dun, 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 you know, Innocent Man, I think, going to The Longest Time first would have given you okay, here's what the album is actually going to be. Because Easy Money is not what the album turns out to be, right? And I understand putting an Innocent Man second because maybe that... does it. I don't really know, and I know we went over it. What is... Why did he name this album an Innocent Man? I, I forget. What's the purpose of the song? What does it mean? Elon? I think it had to do with, like, he was on his own finally, right? So it's like, he's an innocent... This is him. I'm an innocent man. I'm free of all my shackles. I'm just reborn. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, there's, there is something in that song where he's singing about kind of love's past in a way and maybe being cautious about love's future. I think it's like a, it's a nice photograph of his life in 1980, early 83, actually. Well, I still think it would have been better going longest time... After that, then maybe an innocent man, and then it's a. I I like ending the album, the first side with. Remember, we're talking about sides back then with Tell About, and then of course kicking off the second side with Uptown Girl, and then it makes perfect sense to put those nonsense songs, the Careless Talk and Christy Lee over, and then technically ending the album with Leave a Tender Moment Alone, and mm -hmm. uh, apparently with all the reviews I have, nobody likes keeping the faith. What? And I guess he was trying to. I'm telling you, I I got reviewed. Uh, let me start it off. Oh my. Here's the, Rolling Stone review from August 18th, 1983. They suck. Rolling Stone sucks. They've always sucked. Well, it, they don't hate the album. It's, they, they kind of love it. I don't care what consequence it brings, says Billy Joel in the longest time, an acapella number from his soul music tribute album, An Innocent Man. I've been a fool for lesser things. Well, yes, but this is where they get mean. One need only think back to the bratish pedantry i hate music reviewers they're they're thesaurus of words he put and this is the worst part that he pawned off as rock sensibility on glass houses 
an LP whose rock sounded more like something Joe Piscopo's Frank Sinatra would sing than the real thing. Yeah. But unlike that record, An Innocent Man sounds like the real thing, or at least a real celebration of it. As Joel strolls through the archives of soul, his writerly eye hones in on one style after another until An Innocent Man becomes a panoramic overview of what it must have been like to be a Long Island kid with an ear glued to the radio during the golden dawn of rock and soul and doo-wop. Without missing a bump, Joel manages to swing from James Brown and the type raunch of Easy Money to the overdubbed Frankie Lyman and the teenager-style acapella of the longest time to most uncanny of all, a perfectly realized mimicry of the Four Seasons' unfathomable falsetto pop soul entitled Uptown Girl. I think he could have gotten to that a lot sooner. This is the last thing. The only wrong note sounded here is Keeping the Faith the album's postscript, wherein he assures us unnecessarily that by resurrecting these styles, he's not committing an act of nostalgia and reminds us that the good old days weren't always so good and tomorrow isn't as bad as it seems. That's in quotes, of course. An optimistic note unto which to end the album, I suppose, but the self-justification somewhat abruptly breaks the mood of soulful revelry he's built up on the preceding nine songs. Still, I can find no other reason to be cynical about a record that's so plainly a labor of love. An innocent man is an affectionate, spirited payon? Pion? Pion. Pion. <laughs> to an undefiled past that's truly forever. So they did like the album. They just didn't care for keeping the faith. And again, when I was listening to it today, it's not that I hate that song, but yeah, I do say... Why do you got to explain it? Everything you did on this album is just saying, here's what I want to do. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, it is a little weird that he explains it. Because, like, it's it's so meta. It's like, here's nine songs that are just of the time. Like, why not just make a tenth song of the time? Why do the lyrics have to say, like, hey, I did this because, and then explain why? I guess he was nervous. He was nervous that his fans were, I mean, you know, this is a gutsy album. And you could call the Nylon Curtain a gutsy album, which it was, too. But this... Again, when, when you look at the people who were so popular in 1983 that we still know to this day, Michael Jackson and all that stuff, putting out an album of doo-wop songs is balls. <laughs> it's total balls. I mean, I think he's a bit, he's sensitive and he's probably thinking about the critics that panned him on the last few records. And he's probably saying, hey, you know, if it seems like I've been stuck in nostalgia, here, here you go. This one's for you guys who think I've been, you know, have my head up my butt in uh, the 19, late 50s and early 60s. But funny enough, when that Rolling Stone review that didn't like Keeping the Faith, they didn't... <laughs> That's the weird part. He probably wrote it thinking about the reaction. And the reaction was, you didn't need it. He didn't need it. That's right. And what do you do? It's already on the album. He didn't listen to his own advice, you know, because in Leave a Tender Moment Alone, he talks about when you say the right thing, like, don't, you don't have to, like, have a comical line. You don't have to explain yourself. Just, like, let it sit there. And here he wrote a great album where he could have just let it sit. We've said that before, and a couple of his albums should have maybe ended with the eighth or ninth song. And what do you call it? The coda wasn't necessary? Or is, or is Leave a Tender Moment Alone the coda? Yeah, but I mean... Keeping the Faith is a good song. Just lyrically, he didn't have to have the lines where he's explaining like why this was necessary. That's all. Yeah, you already well, that's what Rolling Stone's saying. You know, like you you already got guts and you put this together and you're having a good time. 
why are you explaining it to us? Don't 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 explain why you do what you do. True. Very true. It reminds me of um in the opposite way, the Beverly Hills cop soundtrack, which was a year later, when they first came out, it didn't have the neutron dance by the Pointer Sisters. And uh, that became, for some, I don't know why, it was so popular and it was right at the beginning of the movie. And so they reprinted it with the Neutron Dance by the Pointer Sisters. And my friend had the album without it. And he goes, well, this sucks. And I told him the right to the company and um, they gave him a new one. (laughs) It's it's the exact opposite of what we wanted here. We wanted that last song taken off. But wouldn't it have been a treasure trove to have a copy with the 10th song on it? Yeah, they put the heat is on on that soundtrack, and they couldn't have the uh, <laughs> the pointy stitches. Isn't that the weirdest thing? Right, they have that George Michael song, which doesn't. I want your sex in a movie that's completely sexless. Parts one and two, right? Yeah, <laughs> and he he has no. Not only doesn't he have sex, he has no love interest. I mean that that that's a a multi million dollar movie that has no love interest in it, which I Bold. think is pretty racist, actually. Hmm. Definitely racist. Yeah. Do you think so? Yeah, that makes sense. Looking back yeah. on it, when yeah, you- like America doesn't want to see a, a love story with a African American lead. No, it's mm. true. Back then, I mean, that's like wh- when have you watched an action movie where there's no love? I mean, even in Die Hard, the whole thing is he's trying to get his wife out of there. Yeah. I mean, at le- you know, I mean, at least there's, and they kiss at the end, and you know, they go home together. This one, mm. he's just like seeing his friend, and she's pretty, and he's saving her, but there's no love no romance nothing when did Eddie Murphy get to have a love because Trading Places no nope the Golden Child only at the end at the end they gave him a girl to go to the beach with and that's about it (laughs) he was um, 48 hours actually the first one he had kind of a love interest but it was just like you know he was in jail and he's like come on I need this tonight otherwise Mm. so it's not really the same so not until Right after Coming that, yeah, I think most of his movies <laughs> yeah. then had a love interest, yeah, yeah, or yeah. or he tried because he was then in charge, and he's like, "Well, this is ridiculous. Totally, can we just get another black girl or something?" And so it doesn't have to be. I mean, I don't know what they would say, but it's he was like, "Can racist. I just pick up a transvestite on Hollywood Boulevard?" <laughs> Uh, coming to America, wow. at least he has one. So thank goodness, and she was great, and she's good in Coming to America too as well. Thank you. Cool. Behold, Simi, life, real life. A thing that we have been denied for far too long. Good morning, my neighbors! Hey, fuck you! Yes! Yes! Fuck you, too! So why don't we... What we like to do is kind of get it going with you playing a little something off an innocent man. I'm not going to tell you what to play. I love when you choose. <laughs> and you love this album. I so do. I guess we'll find out what your favorite song is in a second. Uh, also, let me just say that Paul Lauren uh, just recently came out with a version, which we're going to play for a second, uh, of The Longest Time. Came out with his own, as you said last time, stripped-down version of The Longest Time. And we, Alana and I both heard it, and it is really interesting. And <laughs> I was surprised with all the strings and everything, but <laughs> it's great, and I think uh, our listeners will like it a lot. Thanks. Yeah, you could add it to the album montage. No, I'm just kidding. I, 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 I did want to take the song out of itself, and I think that was the uh, the idea. If you said goodbye. 
song of note at the top of the show here, the song that ate the critics, the song that really got the critics, Goat, Keeping the Faith. Should we try that? Sure. Yeah. If it seems like I've been lost, then let's remember You think I'm feeling older and I'm missing my younger days Oh, things shouldn't know me much better Cause my past is something that never I got in my way Oh, no Still, I would not be here now if I never had a hunger And I'm not ashamed to say the wild boys were my friends I never felt the desire To their music set me on fire Then I was saved Yeah That's why I'm keeping the faith Yeah, 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 yeah Keeping the faith We want Matador boots Only flag brothers had them with a Cuban heel Iridescent socks with the same color shirt and a tie pair of chinos. Mm, I put on my shark skin jacket. You know the kind with the velvet collar. Did it up shades? Oh yeah. I took a fresh pack of luckies and a mint called Sensen. My old man's Trojans and his old spice aftershave. Oh, comb my hair in a like the rest of the Romeo's wall, a permanent wave, yeah. But we were keeping the faith, yeah, 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 keeping the faith. You can get just so much from a good thing. You can linger too long in your dreams. Say goodbye. To the oldies, but good is. Cause the good old days weren't always good. Tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. Learn stick ball as a formal education. I lost a lot of fights, but it taught me how to lose. Okay. Oh, heard about sex, but not enough. Found you could dance and still look tough anyway. Yes, I did. I found out a man ain't just being macho. 
Ate an awful lot of late night driving food. Drank a lot of take home pay. Thought it was the Duke of Earl. When I made it with a redhead girl in a Chevrolet. Oh, yeah. We were keeping the faith. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keeping the faith. This is a long one, right? My reasons for the whole revival. And now I'm going outside to have an ice cold beer in the shade. Oh, I'm gonna listen to my 45s. Ain't it wonderful to be alive when the rock and roll plays? Yeah, when the memory stays. Yeah, I'm keeping the faith. Keeping the faith. I'm keeping the faith. Yes. Hey, all right. <laughs> oh, that was a much better version that's on the album. I mean, I love the piano. That's the, the good, the good, uh, I know you're using an electric one, but it's an old fashioned style, the piano. I love it. I like it. Hey, mm-hmm. we say how many times we got to say, why can't Billy just do these stripped down versions? And at least we have you. Great version. <laughs> great version. Really exciting. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. I'm glad to strip down any Billy Joel song to its essential elements. Anytime you want me to, I will throw down in a parking lot, in a piano bar, or at a anything in between. Uh, let's strip these songs down to their bare essentials. You got to go over to this Rolling Stone guy and uh, whoever was working there in 1983 <laughs> and really give him a piece of your mind. I think so too. I think so too. The Rolling Stone also ranks this album, "An Innocent Man," seven out of ten. It's not good. They hate Ooh. this album. <laughs> Why? It's a passing grade. It. I don't know. I'll tell you this, though. I found something very interesting today, which I did not know, is that in August 1st of 1983, or August 7th, the New York Times wrote an article because Neil Young came out with an album on August 1st, which is called Everybody's Rockin', which was his Mm -hmm. 50s version. I did not know this. You knew this, Paul. Yeah, it's, it's more of a rockabilly Yes. Type record? Yes, but... Kind of based in Carl Perkins and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And obviously it's not originals. It's mostly covers, but there are some originals. Yeah. yeah. And people, Neil Young fans, hate it, but they draw comparisons <laughs> to it, and they hate it mostly because, I mean, if you see the cover, it's hilarious. Neil Young's in this pink suit playing like his guitar, like Brian Adams, that cover, you know, like, and mm-hmm. so if you're a Neil Young fan, you're like, wait a minute, he sold out, but he didn't he was actually telling the um, record company to go fuck themselves as well because they say we need a rock and roll album. And he goes, I'll give you a rock and roll. I'll give you the original rock and roll. So he didn't even care. And he knows the album is bad. So they wrote... Curious. With the comparisons. This is the New York Times. How relative is that quality in a cultural artifact that we call innocence 
In the late 1950s and early 1960s, the era has been most labeled the golden age of rock and roll. Rock was suspected by many of being morally subversive for its sexual suggestiveness. Yet the very title of Billy Joel's new album, An Innocent Man, implies the same dewy-eyed romanticism that Glenn Miller's Moonlight Serenade symbolizes to an older generation. Indeed, the album's 10 songs, which pay homage to the 55-65 era of pop records, exalt the bygone time when courtship rituals and sexual roles were far more clearly defined than they are today. That guy must not have heard Christy Lee and all those double entendres. <laughs> That's right, with the saxophone. All she so. needed was the sax. Uh, they also point out that at this time, Billy Joel and Neil Young, respectively 34 and 37, both grew up when rock and roll was at its peak of ferment and are now watching it be devoured by a monolithic video and computer culture. This is in 1983. Talk about computer culture. On their last albums, because we were talking about this, on their last albums, Mr. Joel's Nylon Curtain and Mr. Young's Trance, each man tentatively tried to come to grips with the future by experimenting with the latest in synthesizer technology. Now they have turned around and made deeply felt rock and roll roots albums that question high technology record making and the sophisticated attitudes that go with it. Both records enshrine innocence and optimism as though they were a vanishing species of attitude. Well, I could only say I'm not a boomer, but maybe, you know, you get to your you get to your mid 30s. It's the 1980s, right? You know, it's a reaction against kind of progress of technology in some way it's a nostalgic reaction it's kind of you turn towards the comfort of youth and the glory days of rock and roll i mean literally springsteen wrote a song called glory days people were nostalgic in the early 80s i mean you think about dave the the movie you quote so often back to the future um there was kind of a movement a return to the good old days of Americana rock and roll. You had groups like the Stray Cats, you know, coming up around that time. There was something in the air, and maybe Billy Joel kind of felt it with this. Well, maybe that's true, or maybe, as they say, that he sounds like a man in love. <laughs> he says it's basically a Valentine to Christie, which is when you hear Christy Lee, you're like, are you sure? I'm talking about that song. Because listening to that again today, I'm like, this is still embarrassing. It is still embarrassing. And it's not the worst song I've ever heard, but it is when he's saying Christy Lee, Christy Lee. But the verses or chorus isn't horrible, aren't horrible, but it's it's just bad if that's the one she gets. I know we've spoken about it before. It's just, it's just not right. Let's just assume Uptown Girl is her anthem. Right, but he's calling it a Valentine to Christy when we know that a lot of these songs might have been L songs. Yeah, but I think we've made that clear that once he was with Christy, it was about Christy. Revisionist history, Billy. She didn't know that they were all L songs. So <laughs> just for her sake, if she's listening, guys, it's a Valentine to Christy. Okay. And, you know, Billy said that he wrote this in like six weeks in the studio. It was a really quick recording process. So she could probably pretty much pin down like. Was she dating Billy exclusively in those six weeks? Well, he says, usually I agonize over every note, but this time the songs came pouring out of me. As we know, because, you know, that's why he just stopped. Because apparently, like with the bridge, he couldn't finish. He had no more songs, The River of Dreams. So we know that was the thing, but this one, apparently it all just worked out. Well, we're better off for it. There's another thing in Phil Ramone's book that says, although Joel wanted to have a good time, 
he still took his time in the studio seriously, which is why he was so irked when his guitarists, Russell Javers and David Brown, were goofing around while he was trying to have a discussion with Phil Ramone. And so Phil Ramone came up with a tactic, and he says this in his book, he concocted a plan to get the guitarist back in line. He invited Eric Gale, a guitarist from Paul Simon's band. Meanwhile, I looked this guy up. I mean, he was one of those studio musicians that everybody respects. You know him, Paul? I know of Eric Gale, yeah. Right. So he told he got the guitarist from Paul Simon's band. He's credited on the album, to mostly on Easy Money. It's interesting. They got mm. all the session musicians for David Sanborn, this guy for Easy Money. They, they got him to sit in the session. Ramon instructed him to simply show up, sit between Javers and Brown, plug into his amp and start to play. On the, <laughs> on the night of the session, Eric came in without saying a word. He sat down between David and Russell and started playing during the first rehearsal. Russell and David didn't play a note. They just looked at him. We went to the next take and Eric immediately fell in. I didn't speak to either Russell or David during the entire session. All of my comments were directed to Billy Liberty, Eric, and Doug Stegmeyer. I couldn't tell that my sternness coupled with Eric's formidable presence was rattling Russell and David. After that session, Russell and David snapped back into line. Things are much cooler when you guys cooperate, I said casually on the subsequent date. What we're doing isn't about you or me. It's about the guy at the piano. He let them have it. Wow, Phil Ramone knows how to troll with the best of them. Oh my gosh. Harsh. Phil Ramone knows how to produce. Produce. He knows how to produce. It's true. And you, you, we forget sometimes that producing isn't just this, what'll go good here, let's pick up the dial a little bit. It's also keeping your people you're working with in line. That's the biggest sure part. sure they've had enough to eat. Who knows? You know, I mean, yeah. it really does. You know, let's go down to the macaroni company. We'll get uh, get some pasta. You know, <laughs> it's that's the that's the single biggest part. I mean, anytime I'm in the studio working with the musicians or producing records, I'm mindful of people's blood sugar and the conversations between takes. I mean, the the stuff that comes on the record is ancillary to the to the human stuff. I mean, if you don't if you don't have the human stuff in order, you're not going to make a great. I mean, Phil Ramone, God bless him. What a guy. My gosh, what a way to troll. Yeah. But eventually, you know, a few years later, Billy had to go and fire Russell because he felt like he wasn't bringing enough to his guitar parts. This might have been planting those seeds years earlier. Exactly. Curious. Well, I didn't know that. That's a, that's a sweet tidbit there. Nancy, seeing you here. Having a nice little family vacation. Oh. <laughs> no. It would appear so, wouldn't it? No, no, no. The truth of it is, and this is highly confidential, uh, I own this motel. Yeah. Well, I thought you were going to say you work for the CIA. <laughs> That's an old bit, huh? Really? No, no. No, not with the CIA. I was. Well, why don't we just get to the rankings? Is everybody okay with that? Because I'd like to talk about the songs a little bit. Yeah. My rankings are insane. I am very excited about this because I I know nothing about what even Alan likes on this album. And I clearly don't know your favorite either. It's not like uh, we're probably assuming it's uh, Christy Lee or Careless Talk. Uh, right, Alan, <laughs> judging how all these album reviews have gone. <laughs> 
And then he'll have a real good reason why. And we're like, damn it, I got to rethink that song. There's no way it can be Christy Lee. You are a musician <laughs> and a lyricist. There is no way you're sitting there saying, my favorite song is when he just goes, Christy Lee, Christy Lee, Christy Lee, Christy Lee. We're going to find out. No. We're going to find out. Alon, do you want to go first or should I? Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on part two of an innocent man rapper. She was a nice piece of music. She had a rhythm of